IVP produced this podcast as a public service. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or another qualified health provider for any questions you may have related to mental health conditions. Tell us about a time when you've struggled to get out of bed. It could be recent. It could be in the past. It could be this morning. For me, it was two days ago. The most intense time and just wanting to shut down was after my husband um, was diagnosed with um, schizophrenia and we were heading toward divorce and waking up, you, you forget the reality and then you wake up every morning and you just want to go back to sleep because that reality is a little too hard to face head on. Walk us through some of those conversations. How did you get yourself to get up and get moving? I had the severe mercy of having a eight and 10 year old children I had to get to school. And then as a single mom, I didn't have him in there. So I didn't have someone else I could rely on to pick up any of the slack. So, you know, just the mere need to keep my children alive was a a big help. I didn't want to lose them too. So I had to function at some level. In this episode, I spoke to Wendy Alsop, a math professor and the author of I Forgive You and Companions in Suffering. As someone who has had his own mental health challenges and had to watch his spouse respond the best that she could, I was looking forward to this interview because Wendy has written about her experience with a husband who suffered from a severe mental illness. I had never talked to Wendy before, even though I'd been friends with her across the internet for many years. And knowing her story and knowing the great suffering that she's gone through, I did not expect someone who had that much joy. So I'm I'm sure you still carried the weight of that with you as you went through your day. And how did you keep that mental affliction at bay so that you could keep going with the kids. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms that one can (laughs) incorporate. (laughs) And um, I've had to discipline, no, actually, I need to discipline myself. I, I would have at times where I recognize I was going to unhealthy coping mechanisms, particularly uh, amusement, you know, uh, mind without thought, anything that that I could entertain without thought was something I gave myself over to, to try to um, deaden the temptation to think too hard about things I couldn't control. When, and that's sometimes that's healthy though. Right. I mean that to me, I don't know. I've struggled with that myself where it's like, uh, so for me, it's telling stupid jokes on Twitter. 
Uh, and that brings me a lot of pleasure, but it's mindless to some extent, right? It's not, um, it's not all that productive, but it means a lot to me. And there are times when I can't resolve stuff that's going on in my life and I can't fix my stupid brain. It's just going to be stupid. And, um, so what can I do? Well, I can make up a joke and, or I can make up, make up a meme yeah, sometimes I give myself over to dog cat videos, like I'm the queen of the uh-huh. silly animal video. I, I could never get above 7,000 followers because, like, the moment that something happens and someone's retweeting my stuff and maybe I get a bunch of new followers, I, I go on a puppy cat video tear and <laughs> like, what the heck? What is with this woman? And there it goes. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> But you love the puppy cat videos. Well, I think they remind me of Eden. They're like a little tether to what God created us to enjoy and where we're heading back in long term. So, I, yeah, I love a good dog animal interaction video. Um Supernaturally, like I, it's a spiritual thing for me. No, I mean, that makes sense. I think uh, making jokes on Twitter for me serves a similar purpose where it's like I feel, I do feel nourished by it, even though if someone were like, why are you using your time on Twitter? I'd be hard pressed to explain it in a tough argument, justify it, but I know viscerally. It's actually pretty helpful for me. And there are ways of numbing myself with social media that are harmful and destructive. And there are ways of doing it that are dog and cat videos reminding you of Eden and nurturing your spirit. Right. As opposed yeah. to my binging house of cards at the worst of my relationship, which I'm, I'm not totally sure was particularly <laughs> healthy amusement. But... Um, the dog and cat videos and social media positivity, I think, is good. And a deep laugh, anything that provides a deep laugh is good. Yeah. How did you incorporate others into your struggles? Well, you, that happened fairly naturally for me, although I felt very alienated. I actually, the Lord brought several people the, and the, the key was for me to recognize that, who they were and allow mm. them into my life. Was that difficult, the allowing into your life part? Yeah, because some of that means that you have to face head on what you're trying to cope with amusement to not deal with, you know. Yeah. But I had a series of friends that had experience in similar or different types of struggles than I had, but they had enough experience with suffering and discouragement and depression to, they had gone on before me. And so they were able mm. just with their responses or examples kind of help me get my own footing under me for this long path that, you know, it's, this is going to be the rest of my life. It's not going to resolve. Right. And so what I needed to learn was how to get sure footing on new terrain. And um, they were they were helpful to me with that. Was that in your church community? Some in my church community, some friends from the past. But what, what they all had in common was they had all suffered in some way. Like two of them had lost their dads at an early age. 
one had had was uh, confined to a wheelchair after a surgery went wrong. You know, so they had like a variety of different issues in their lives. And what I ended up doing was starting this little Facebook group and I invited them in and I just said, listen, I need a place I can be raw and I'm not going to be offended if you don't want to be a part of this. But I need encouragement. Like I needed people that wouldn't be depressed when I was depressed, but people that had, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yes, my discouragement yeah. brings them down. Well, that's that's actually not very helpful, but I understand. I mean, right. you can't blame someone for being discouraged when I'm discouraged, but I needed people who their faith was um, solid. And so they could kind of keep, uh, what the, there's a way I like to word it, like they could keep hope and faith for me when I couldn't keep it for myself. Wow. So was that a difficult process for you to reach out? Because it sounds like you were being really intentional. Like, I'm going to form this Facebook group. We're going to do this together. You're the type of person I think I could bring in. Um, Was that a difficult process for you? Or were you the kind of person who knew, okay, I can't do this alone. So I'm just going to go hustle and find people. No, it took me a little while. I talked to my brother-in-law at a pretty low point and he's a pastor and I just said you know when you counsel people how do you tell them you know to endure something like this and he suggested to me that I try to find five or so friends that I could really be raw with he said you're going to have to have somebody that you can talk with about the worst parts of this Um, And so that was the prompt. And that was months in. Maybe it's over. Honestly, it was that was four years after um, my husband was first diagnosed and about a year after our our, um, divorce. It was after I was diagnosed with breast cancer that I really got to the place that I realized I needed a network. I, I just couldn't do this. So you went those four years by yourself. Is that what you're saying? Well, partly by myself. Now, that that was back in Seattle, and I actually had um, a couple okay. that were both therapists and they were community group leaders, and they walked oh, with good. me pretty closely. And I had a few friends that I would talk to, but I really didn't intentionally build a group until I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was able to power through some, but after that, there was there was no powering through that on top of the rest. Have you found that you've been able to be that person for others now that you've had that experience? Uh, Yes. And part of my regret is that I wasn't that person when for others before I went Mm. through all of this, the the same way I know to be now. And I, I have a few friends I've gone back and apologized to them. I'm like, you know what? I just... I was threatened by your discouragement. You know, I tried to lecture you out of your discouragement and um, I didn't hold faith for you when you were struggling yourself. Um, but yeah, I I feel Lord willing, I'm, I'm better at recognizing and, and not trying to solve it. That for me was a big thing. You know, you, you don't want it for them. So you want to help them get out of it. So you keep offering suggestions of things to try or ways to pray or verses to read. 
Yeah. And it wasn't until I had people piling that on me that I realized, <laughs> wow, you know, <laughs> that actually does not help me right now. So what did, if that wasn't, those kinds of words weren't helpful, what kind of words were helpful to you? And do you share with others who are struggling to get out of bed now? I remember a friend, a friend one day said, I'm praying Psalm 69 for you. And I went and looked it up and and it was such a psalm of lament, such raw language there that being exposed and pointed to raw language or having someone receive my raw language and then point me to God's word and the raw language there so that I had a healthy way of, of manifesting what was clearly going on in my soul. Because I find it funny, you know, we've been having a debate about um, if it's okay to get mad at God after the shooting at uh, Covenant. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I don't even know that that's, the question isn't, is it okay? It's going to happen. And the question mm. is, what do you do with it when it Interesting. does? And so scripture gives us this language because the worst thing we could do is experience something like this and think, we can't take it to God. You know, yeah. the throne room is for the times of when we need grace and mercy. And that was the most important thing is that people showed me how to um, take my own struggles with confidence because I was using the language of God. Mm. And um, that was pretty powerful for me. Do you feel like the church has gotten better on the issue of mental health? Pockets of it have. <laughs> Church is a big word. Oh, yeah. Fair, fair. Okay. So evangelicals in America, do you feel like we've gotten better at dealing with mental health? And where do you feel like, okay, there's still an area where we, we need a lot of education or growth or spiritual maturity? Well, I think evangelicals in America are pretty messed up overall and splintered. So I would say it's pockets within there as well. But I think that I don't hear the same proactive anti-medicine um, language that I've heard in the past. And so I think that's helpful that people do see the common grace of the medical profession. You know, early on, I was from a background that, you know, that was like, oh, you're giving in. You're giving yeah. in. Yep, that's what I heard. And so hopefully that is happening less and less. And I, I've been received pretty well. I, I don't hide the fact that, you know, actually they prescribed me antidepressants because I was having hot flashes. And then um, through that, believe it or not, that's kind of an interesting huh. thing that Lexapro yeah. is a, if you have hot okay. flashes after a hysterectomy, it's like a first line of defense. But it also helps with some other things. I learned. Yeah, yeah. I learned I also needed Lexapro, and I probably yeah. wasn't. But I, I feel like, um, in my own honesty, that um, I haven't been rejected. I've been reasonably uh, received and not lectured against. So, hopefully, we're doing a better job. That's great to hear. I think we do. I'll just say this, yeah. Alan. I think we we have a sense that, um, well, you're going to take medicine instead of studying the Bible. Or you're going to mm -hmm. study the Bible instead of take medicine. But medicine for your brain is just a common grace. 
And I, yeah. what I found for myself was that it'll help me get to a place where I can then re-engage scripture rationally. Yeah. I'm not overwhelmed by irrational thoughts that are weighing me down and keeping me. They've become a barrier because my mind is mush. I have a pretty good um, openness to it because the same thing will happen to my brain as a diabetic. Now, that's um, more in short term. But mm-hmm. if my blood sugar is low, uh, I very clearly I can get angry, uh, irrational anger, irrational uh, depression. Now, short term, mm-hmm. all you have to do is eat a cookie and then suddenly you're better. And when it only takes a cookie to solve your problem, it's a good indication that it's biological, hormonal. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is not a spiritual issue. Right. Um, and so that that experience in particular has given me a lot of freedom from the way I was uh, huh. taught in the church to understand that there are hormones and things going on in here and, and they're not spiritual. Right, right. But they have implications on how you act spiritually. And so you need to eat that cookie. Absolutely. In order to be healthy. And some of us need medication in order to get to that place where we can think rationally so that we can engage scripture. And as you say, I like the way of putting that as a common grace. It's a way of, of you know, helping us to move through the world and glorify God better. And that's a beautiful thing, not a not something to be shamed. And I do think you're right that we've gotten, as a whole, we've gotten better about that. We're more comfortable talking about it. We still have a ways to go, but we've done some good things. Um, I'm curious, I don't, you know, in in my book uh, on getting out of bed, I don't talk about my own mental health struggles because I didn't want it to be that kind of book, which is a fine kind of book, but I just didn't want it to be that kind of book. And so I'm not going to do that here. Um, But I will say that, you know, I've had the experience of being the one struggling for my spouse and um, and my spouse has had to be the one to carry that load. Uh, And I know that's something that you experienced. How did you manage that? How did you manage that burden of being the one who's on the other side? You know, there was a long time where, I mean, it was really, really discouraging to me. But in our situation, I was not received in, you know, the encouragement I gave concerning listening to your doctor on medicine. So I don't want to say something that puts a weight on you, Alan. But, you know, it's important to have compassion on the spouses because, you know, I've, I've often felt like just because I can't break down because there's nobody to catch me if I do. Everybody else broke down. And if I break down too, then we're all going to hell in a handbasket. So <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And sometimes when I'm upset or something, I, I'll, you know, feel pretty, um, I don't know, you know, get down in the mouth or whatever you want to call it that, well, I, you know, everybody else can be depressed, but God forbid I I be and not get out of bed because then nobody gets ready or nobody. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it can be something in which you really need some encouragement. But the most important thing for me was when Andy was able to receive my help and I knew that I was being helpful and that my perseverance was helping. Hmm. I was way more able to persevere 
but then persevering when they're rejecting, you know, or when the worst point for us came when his mental um, issues caused me to be the enemy. Mm. And that was just, how do you endure in that? That was a really bad period of time for me. Now, now we, we have a good relationship. He comes over every day. I um, help him with his uh, disability. And, um, and again, so, you know, when he's down or discouraged, although it makes me sad for him, I'm able to persevere because my help is welcome. And it's that, it's that difference that really can, um, harm a caregiver, I think, because you love someone, you love someone, you want to help them, but then they despise you for helping them. That's really puts you in a really hard position. And I would resent it. I just resented it. So one, I love you. I'm trying to help you and you resent me for doing this. And so now you're both rejecting me and I'm having to watch this person I love head toward really bad places. Um, and so that was a really a lot of my own personal mental battles tied to that during that season. Yeah. And on top of that, you're still getting the kids ready for school and making sure the house functions and doing these day-to-day things, I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. So your encouragement would be for those who are struggling with the mental illness and has have a spouse or a friend who's trying to be a caregiver, make sure that you're, it's clear that you are accepting and welcoming of that support because that's going to be the thing that's going to help them endure the burden of being a caregiver. Right. Just let them know that you see them. And um, I think that just goes a tremendous way. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to buy them a gift or something. Just I see what you're doing and thank you. Yeah. So you mentioned cat and dog videos. What are some other things? And you mentioned, you know, your kids. What are some other things that some really nice things in your world that help keep mental affliction at bay? Uh, I garden. Oh, and gardening to me is, I mean, this is all, I got. I have a lot of strategies to keep me tethered to Eden and hoping mm. for the new, um, new Jerusalem. And gardening is a particular one. Like, it's just such a miracle to put huh. this tiny little hard seed in the ground. Yeah. And then with water and sunlight, it just grows. And then it makes fruit and you can eat this fruit. I just think gardening is the most amazing thing. And every time I work in the garden, I think about the Garden of Eden. I think about weeds, what huh. weeds meant for the fall of man. I think about our hope hope for redemption. So what is that we're going to grow? Wow. We're going to grow and have fruit with no weeds. And what's that going to be like? So gardening, like pet videos, is a very spiritual thing to me. Do you have a regular schedule that you keep to do that? Or is that just something you do whenever it comes up? I, I do it in the evenings usually because I'm sadly working full time. I mean, lots of people work full time, but I was raised to be that stay-at-home mom who volunteered or with her uh-huh. kids. And life has funneled me down to a full-time single mom supporting the family. So, uh, but I try to do it every evening when I get home from work. 
And if I just weed even 15 minutes and water the garden, walk around a little bit, it's therapy. That's great. That's beautiful. All right. Final question here. Why get out of bed? What would you tell people? More bluntly, why live? What would you what advice would you give to people? Well, my advice would be if you feel like dying, it's okay to embrace death to self so that you can be alive for others. Hmm. And so for me, a lot of my hopes and dreams that I had as a kid for myself have died. Hmm. I, I, you know, I die daily. I'm dead, you know, and there would be people, sometimes secular folks that I think would be horrified by the way I might communicate that. But there is a sense in which they that lose their lives will find it. And what you, where you find it is in others. Hmm. And so for me, I really find joy in my boys. Hmm. I find joy in the garden. I find joy in helping a student. And um, that's why I get out of bed because I think that their lives are important. And that sustains me when anything about my own life is discouraging or is not. Yeah. I, th- I think I'm going to have to go through the a pretty big mental process with that once my boys go off to college. Yeah. I was wondering about that. Yeah. So the first one's heading out to college. He's only an hour away. So he'll be a freshman. And then I still have a sophomore at home. And I really, I'm facing it head on, you know. They have been prompts to get out of bed for a long time and how I've, I've got to figure out what are the motivating factors for joy because hmm. it's not going to be me. Yeah. Um, hmm. What is going to and how do I embrace that? My parents are helpful to me, too, right now. They live on the farm. Uh, they're 82 and 85 and caring for them as a a big joy to me, a motivating factor, but I have to face that on there, you know? So I have the potential loss of four people in the coming years that have been kind of anchored me who have pulled me out of bed in the morning if I was unwilling to get up myself. And so I think I'm hoping that an honest assessment and looking forward and, and owning head on how this is going to affect me and praying through and thinking through what's, what's the next path. Yeah. But you're being intentional about it. And that seems like the right strategy. And honestly, I mean, from an outside perspective, there's something a little bit exciting about this because I know you're going to find other people and other people need you to help them uh, and you have wisdom that other people don't have. Um, and, you know, you said earlier in this conversation that, you know, you looked back and you wish you had been that person to give advice and counsel and encouragement to others when you need it, uh, w- when they needed it. But I suspect the truth is that you have this wisdom now that you just couldn't have had then. And what you've been through and the experiences that you've been through are going to be a gift, are a gift, continue to be a gift in your writing, in your ministry. Uh, and it's kind of exciting to think 
it's going to be that way for other people too. You know, uh, I don't know who those people are, but they're there and they need you. The world is filled with people. I mean, you know, this working with students, the world is filled with people who need love, who need God's love and they're not getting it. And, um, that's exciting. Yeah. Thanks. So, yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. So, Wendy, what role do you think grief played uh, in your role as a caregiver? Are you able to find time to grieve? You know, I was able to grieve some when we were fully estranged. I don't allow myself now. I've been actually talking with a couple of friends about it. I feel like I sometimes I disassociate, you know, classic unhealthy version, but I, I have areas in my brain. I got some manhole covers with mm. some parts that you can smell a little bit if you walk by that we're going to keep uh-huh. those manhole covers down for a, a bit more because I find the tension between processing and caring. So if people need me to function, how much uh, in-depth uh, processing of emotions. Now, I will say earlier on, I've, I've spent a good bit of time with counselors and therapists. I, I really struggled with panic attacks early on. I'm at peace now with where we're at. And probably a, one really helpful place is that my life was torn apart and then I rebuilt it by God's grace, of course, in a way that my ex-husband now doesn't have the power to take it apart. Right. And so now I'm able to help him from a place of more stability for myself with, whereas, and before his instability really resulted in our entire lives, everything I, I knew at that point falling apart as well. But I sometimes have moments of introspection, but mostly what I do right now is I ride my bike at night and I pray. I don't have any music or anything. I ride my bike around our farmhouse. We have a loop, have a little light on my bike. And it that physical activity with prayer of God over where I am now, knowing where I've been, has been good for me. So I, I'm honestly, I'm happy. I'm a happy person. Um, occasionally, uh, losses from this path hit me, but I, I've also had gains. I've had gains too. Like there are parts of my life that are better now, parts of my life that I like better. I like my character better. I like the lessons I've learned better than the ignorance I had in the past. So God has been kind to me, and I, I do see a lot of fruit of the Spirit. I, I have peace. I have joy. And, you know, That's sometimes great. my boys and I, we have a good time together. We have a happy home, and we laugh a lot. And I, when we laugh deeply or enjoy something fun together or they had a really great time, I always I love it because I know it's a miracle. Huh. You know, I say often yeah. the things I thought would destroy us didn't destroy us, and that's the miracle. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. It's clear that this experience has changed her character and made her into a better person. The fruit of the Spirit is evident in her life. Probably the thing that will stick with me the longest is that 
for those who are caregivers, what they need to hear is that they are seen and loved and appreciated for their support. I hope that from this episode, listeners can take away a deeper appreciation for the ability of humans to persevere through very difficult times with the strength of God. Wendy is a testament to that. And she even says that, you know, that's part of her story is that there were times when she felt like things weren't going to get better or their lives were going to fall apart, but they didn't. And in fact, in some ways, she says that her life is better than it was before. And that's uh, remarkable. I'd also like people to take away an appreciation for cat and dog videos. IVP is invested in advocating for mental health. Through the publication of books like On Getting Out of Bed by Alan Noble and Companions in Suffering by Wendy Alsup, IVP provides Christian resources for both individuals and professionals. Find all of IVP's mental health resources at ivpress.com slash mental health.